0: Hi, everyone. Good morning. Trying to wake people up. I know it's 11 o'clock. You're probably tired. Um, I'm Cassandra Sayer, head of International Capital Markets for the New York Stock Exchange. The New York Stock Exchange is honored to be part of Capital Link's 15th annual New York Maritime Forum for an always timely and important discussion of current conditions in the shipping industry. As we all know, shipping is crucial to our global economy. This is reflected in our capital markets, and in particular, the prominence of shipping companies on the New York Stock Exchange. Today, we have more than 30 companies from the marine transportation industry listed on our exchange. Shipping is a sector that often operates quietly in the background, but is vital to many supply chains. Connecting nations fueling economic growth, and fostering international trade relationships. Whether it's the transportation of raw materials, finished goods, or items in between, maritime transportation is a key component of international commerce. When the world's leading shipping companies choose to list on the New York Stock Exchange, they join many of their peers within the maritime shipping space that are paving the way for innovation and growth. Fostering and expanding this international presence is a key focus for me and my team as we continue to welcome the world's greatest leaders and innovators to the New York Stock Exchange. Now, you might think, why do maritime companies, among many others, list on the New York Stock Exchange? Our U.S. capital markets represent the deepest pools of liquidity in the world with the highest level of regulation to serve the needs of investors and companies alike. At the New York Stock Exchange, the world's largest stock exchange, the quality of our markets and trading experience are paramount. This explains why we're the only global stock exchange with a trading model that combines cutting-edge technology with the guidance of experienced floor traders. The result of all this is a powerful community of icons and entrepreneurs that have listed on the New York Stock Exchange to both raise capital and change the world. These companies are able to leverage our community to network and share best practices in critical areas like good governance and sustainability, supported by tools and thought leadership events made available by the exchange. In my own role at the New York Stock Exchange, I'm responsible for attracting new listings from companies around the world, including in Asia, Canada, EMEA, and Latin America. This entails conversations with private companies and investors, including PE and VC firms, investment bankers, and other stakeholders on the IPO landscape on what the NYSE has to offer issuers looking to tap the public markets. As many of you know, The broader IPO market has been somewhat quiet over the past two years due to economic uncertainty and other factors. It may surprise you to learn that during this period, the NYSE has been busier than ever, speaking to C-suite leaders of our private and listed companies about key issues, including market volatility, sustainability, and geopolitical and economic conditions. For the first half of 2023, NYSE set the pace for U.S. IPO proceeds with an industry-leading 6.7 billion of IPO proceeds raised. And we were home to eight of the 10 largest transactions. For the deals that got done this year in a very tough market, over 95% of them priced within or above the initial price range, and more than 80 percent traded above issue price on day one. These IPOs are a great positive sign that the market is looking for. We also welcomed 15 publicly traded companies that completed the transfer from another exchange to the NYSE, including FISERF which is a payment mobility company, and they were the second largest transfer in NYSE history at $72 billion market cap at the time of transfer. And more recently, in September, we've seen three large tech IPOs, which are important indicators of investor sentiment and market appetite for new issuance. Profitability over growth Potential continues to be an important theme for companies looking to tap the public markets in the current economic environment. As listing con- conditions continue to improve, the NYSE maintains a strong pipeline of companies planning to list at the exchange to join our community. Overall, NYSE listed companies hail from 46 countries, generate over $20 trillion of revenue annually, and employ over 43 million people directly, and many more millions indirectly. Shipping plays an important role in this community. I'm certain it will continue to do so going forward. With that, I would like to thank Nicholas Bonozis, President of Capital Link, for gathering all of us here today for this important dialogue. And let us all continue to work together to support investment and prosperity in shipping. I'll turn over now to Keith uh, Bilotti, partner at Seward and Kissel, to kick off our next panel, focused on capital markets, M&A, and consolidation.
1: Thank you.
2: Cassandra, thank you very much for that. All of you are going to have to bear with me a little bit. I have a little laryngitis, but the show must go on. So I want to start out with our panel. Maybe we could just go down the row here. I know all of you are pretty well known to everybody in this room but if you could just give a little introduction about yourself and your platform and we could just go down the row krista will you start us out
3: uh yep absolutely hi everyone nice to see you today my name is krista Volvicelli. i am um head our global maritime investment banking at city I have been with Citi for over 20 years, and I have many colleagues uh, as part of our shipping team who have been there longer than I have. So um, what we're particularly proud about as a team, um, we are a a global bank uh, with a presence across investment banking. So what I do is capital markets and M&A, as well as the corporate banking side. Um, I'm based here in New York, but we have colleagues in London, Hong Kong, Greece, and and many of the other hubs. Um, Delighted to see everyone today.
4: Yeah, thank you. I'm Christopher Heidson, uh Managing Director at Clarkson Securities. Uh, we focus uh, on, on the whole shipping space in Clarkson and Securities mainly on the equity markets, debt capital markets, M&A and advisory. Uh, we're leading raising equity for shipping companies globally, uh, and we're mainly located in, in Oslo, where I sit, and in New York, uh, with local presence around the globe as well uh, through our Clarkson shipping arm. Uh, with that, I uh, leave it over to you. All
5: right. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jay Kwan. I'm a managing director at DnB Markets, and I've been with DMB since 2011. Um, we, as you know, focus around the maritime energy and offshore space, um, and we are well represented with uh, bankers both in New York but also in Oslo, Singapore, and London.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Kirk with RMK. Uh, RMK was started in 2012, and we're a uh, investment bank focused solely on the maritime space. Um, I spend the majority of my focus on capital markets and M&A, uh, but as a firm we also do a lot of uh, debt arrangement leasing and um, an actual debt deployment through our uh, alternative lender, Ascension Finance.
6: Nikos Petrokakos uh, with Tufton. We're an investment manager focused in shipping. We have both public and, and private uh, investment vehicles. Uh, and my focus is uh, primarily on the decarbonization and energy transition side investing, and any investments in that space for us Thanks, everyone
2: you know so the the news cycle has been dominated by new economic and geopolitical realities you know and with this backdrop, maybe Krista, you could give us a little overview of the u s capital markets you know with this landscape in mind
3: Sure, absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, where we sit today, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, And, you know, when you look at the performance of the equity markets, it it does become bifurcated depending on where you look. Um, Overall equity markets are up year to date. But if you strip out uh, some of the biggest uh, tech companies, Apple, Google, Tesla, the overall market looks pretty flat, actually, and, and you've got a handful of these large tech companies that are up 90% year to date. Uh, you look closer into the shipping segments, and you see everything related to energy, tankers, LNG, LPG, uh, with significant outperformance versus the overall market, and that's no surprise given uh, the earnings in these sectors. And you see. Uh, the supply chain related equities in terms of containers, liners, et cetera, down. But that is off of just a tremendous uh, run that they had um, during COVID. Um, when we talk to investors, you know, I would say it's, it's a bit mixed right now. You have um, some investors who are feeling you know, generally okay. There seems to be visibility as to when we're going to hit peak rates, um, You know, maybe one hike away. Um, the expectation that the U.S. you know perhaps will have um, a soft landing, with growth maybe re-accelerating in 2024, but then we have a lot of looming things on the horizon. You know, most recently um, the horrible uh, events in Israel and what's happening um, there and, and to the people. Uh, we have slowdown in in commercial real estate, slowdown with the consumer. Um, mortgage rates today are 7 to 8 percent versus 3 to 4 percent a couple of years ago. And so, as those things start to filter through, you know, there, there are questions that remain. Um, all that said, you know, the, the markets are there, the markets are open. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, many shipping companies don't need to raise capital um, or have valuations where, where they don't want to raise capital, and, and that's fine. Um, there's lots of capital sources available, public and private. Um, and we have continued to see uh, quite active uh, issuance across uh, the bond markets and, and the bank markets, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Thank you.
2: Christopher, maybe uh, Clarkson's based out of Norway. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a European perspective.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, I, and I definitely agree with, with a lot what was said from Krista. I mean, the, the markets today, there are, there's a lot going on in the world, uh, yeah. which is affecting everyone investing. But I think that's where I've been been fortunate for, for shipping and sort of the energy sectors uh, which have performed very well uh, this year and over the last couple of years in different segments. So I think that has been beneficial that investors see that you can actually invest in shipping and, and earn money for a, for a longer period of time. It's not just a small blips of a month here and a month there. It sort of started with, with containers a couple of years ago and it's followed on with, with bulkers and tankers and LNG and, and various sectors that become investable. And I think there hasn't been that many uh, primary equity transactions in shipping in general uh, in the US nor, nor Europe uh, over the last couple of years. It's been a bit slower, and, and it's the same in 2023. But we do see a lot of activity in sort of block trade. Uh, investors are rotating in and out of companies. Uh, and, and what we tend to see on the transaction I've been working on is that the, the investor base has been primarily focused in Europe, uh, being sort of. 50, 60, 70 percent of the transaction covered from Europe, uh, and a lesser extent from the American investors, and and that I guess is a little bit of a reflection of of, of how the stock markets uh, or investors tend to look at shipping as well. It's typically a little bit more early phase in sort of the European end, uh, and, and and then Americans coming more online when it's more confirmed. But I think all in all, um, the the capital markets are are there, and and they're. Definitely good transactions to be done uh, for investors to sort of get exposure to the energy security and 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 the shipping segments.
2: Now, Jay, DMB sort of straddles, uh, you know, uh, both Norway here in the U.S. You have a presence, uh, big presence in Europe and here. You know, do you have anything to add, add to that, or uh, do you agree, disagree?
5: No, I I, I think um, that's a good summary. I. I would say the big emphasis really has been energy security. That that has absolutely been driving, I think, the momentum and certainly what we've seen in the rate environment for most um, tanker, LPG, LNG names. And so I think right now I would say, you know, Krista mentioned that there really isn't a lot of need for capital for most of these companies because, again, they've benefited from a strong environment. Um, we see companies right now trying to take advantage of probably more dual listings just to make sure that they're well-positioned for when the market does hit another cycle. And so, you know, you've got companies like BWLPG looking for a dual listing. You've got companies like Himalaya doing a dual listing. So I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of that. Um, companies really just positioning themselves for the, really the next cycle, but it's, it's a really interesting time period because there's a, uh, you know, there's a lot of the things are going right, and so the question is what's that, you know, variable or what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months That where we know there's always disruptions. And so to me, it's about energy security. And then I think this whole energy transition and fuel question is really what's also driving the markets right now. And so um, you know, I think those who can figure out where that's going to, uh, where that will go and, and the timing of that, I think, really has quite an advantage.
2: Now, Mike, uh, you know, uh, maybe you give us a little perspective from the, the private company side. You know these folks work a lot with uh, with public companies. Maybe you could give us a little little perspective there.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you know on the the private side, if you're talking about capital raising, I think it's sort of some of the same challenges or headwinds that you see in the in the public markets. But I think you also have most people that are probably sitting pretty good right now from a capital perspective. Um, so it's people really looking to do things opportunistically. So I think bringing in capital on the equity side is the same challenge that it's been for for quite some time um but the cash flows are there which is really supporting credit so we're seeing a lot more on the credit side um people able to go up on the ltvs get a little bit more creative with structures so I think that's more what we're seeing on the private side
2: so Krista, you alluded to the strength of the balance sheet that most shipping companies uh obviously not all shipping companies are created equally but generally speaking uh You know, shipping's in a pretty good spot right now. Folks may or may not be be looking to access the capital markets, you know, to fund their their immediate needs. What are you, though, trying to pitch to your clients in the market? What what sort of, what's available to people uh, right now?
3: So, I think it's a question of what's available versus what are we pitching. And what are we pitching is going to depend <laughs> on uh, on the circumstances of any particular company's balance sheet. Because I think as as you know, Chris alluded to, uh, the, the markets are there. Um, you can issue equity, you can issue convertible bonds. Uh, convertible bonds uh, for some of the larger shipping companies are something that you know, one could think about if you have the right size balance sheet. And, and that has been a market that's been there and active. Um, and the bond markets are there. So. I really think it's about kind of the balance of thinking through um, capital structure, maturity towers. You have seen companies opportunistically um, refinance things in the bank market at quite competitive spreads, um, and in the bond markets. You know, one example. Um, you know, Maersk is one of the strongest balance sheets in shipping. Um, a lot of liquidity, earning a lot of money. Um, we helped lead um, the first green bond for Maersk um, back in September. Um, Maersk has had a green framework in place for their bond issuance since 2021 with their um, uh, euro issuance. Um, this is the third bond that we have helped spring to the US markets for Maersk. Um, started with 500 million, well oversubscribed at, uh, and we priced at 750 million. Um, and in the end, now Maersk is an investment grade company. Um, it is linked to their green framework, so you know, as, as many people know they have various initiatives happening in terms of dual fuel vessels, etc. Um, but when you look at you know, what they were able to achieve, it was you know, a very tight spread, 165 basis points over treasuries. Um, and that was a testament to you know, the strength of the company, the strength of their program, et cetera. And so I think companies, even companies with very strong balance sheets um, are continuing to think about access to diverse, diverse sources of capital. Um, and I know we're going to talk about sustainability a little bit later, but um, that's you know, certainly playing a role.
2: Jay, what are you pitching? What's available? Is there a difference?
5: <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot available. I I think that's just the reality. I I think going back to the whole focus on energy security, you know, to see, for example, Shelf's Drilling, which is, you know, shallow water drilling company, $1.1 billion bond, right? So a couple years ago, we probably would never have seen that. But the ability to do a $1.1 billion bond tells you something, that there's clearly investor appetite, interest, and belief in the importance around uh, energy security here. Um, We're seeing... Transactions where we are working with private companies looking at more uh, infrastructure type funds who may be seeking opportunities in that space. And so we are seeing a bit of that as well. Um, And then for many of our traditional shipping companies, the focus around uh, energy transition, offshore wind is an important part of that as well. And so we are seeing companies spending time in that space, figuring out where they think they could play. You know, economics have to make sense, but for them, um, they are definitely looking in that space as well.
2: So I'd like to flip this around a little bit. Um, what should shipping companies be considering as the main factors as they sort of evaluate you know, their capital raising needs right now? Um, you know, Christopher, how, how would you answer that?
4: Yeah, I think uh, in, in general, shipping companies are doing quite a good job. Uh, I mean, for, for a period now, they've been earning and strengthening their balance sheets. And they're taking their time as well. They're, they're not making irrational decisions and investments that will put them in a negative position into the market that we uh, as a house think it's going to be quite favorable for, for a lot of the different segments and I think now we're in a position where we have a, a very solid investable framework for, for investors in, in most of the, the major shipping segments and I think I think they're there uh, they're looking at it with a wanting and willingness to, to, to renew their fleets and, and make it greener and, and sort of follow the whole green transition uh, but but also doing it with the mindfulness of, of making returns to investors uh, and I think that's that's been an important factor and that's also how you're able to raise equity for these shipping companies for example Himalaya and 2020s, 2020 sort of their their whole focus is on we're saying exactly what we're gonna do we're gonna pay out the capital and then we're gonna and then we're gonna focus on returning capital to to shareholders and I think as long as, as uh, the investments make sense from a shipping company perspective, then there's capital there uh, but but they need to to make sure that it, it has returns for, for every stakeholder thank
2: you now Nico, you, you see this from a different perspective. you know Tufton uh, you know has, has a number of funds, you invest in private and public companies. you know as an investor, what factors should should companies be looking at
6: um, I would say that the way the approach is going is, is this, there's a bifurcation between different strategies right now, and we touched upon some of it with the, the energy transition. I think it's preventing ship owners from overextending themselves and doing speculative investments. I think the uncertainty has helped with that, while they've also strengthened their balance sheet over, over the last few years. Um, and I think what's changing is the opportunity to invest in the second-hand market remains because of this prevention of speculative orders and, and things like that, whereas on the other side, you know, Jay mentioned this move towards uh, infrastructure funds. You know, private equity got burnt uh, several years ago. I think they're coming back to the industry in a slightly different way on the, you know, when we're talking about private side of things, um, because the energy transition is shifting the industry to more of an infrastructure-like core plus play, longer term contracts, uh, more of a partnership rather than, you know, asset play kind of investments. Um, so, you know, I would say, investments in terms of ship owners, you know, we we need to remain um, cautious. We, You know, we can't be uh, going back to the speculative ways of, uh, that brought us to where we've been for the last decade.
2: Nico, I want to stay with you here. You know, Tufton, uh, you know, back stainless uh, tankers. You were able to do an IPO uh, over in Norway. The IPO market here in the U.S. has been largely closed for, for shipping companies for a while now. You know, I just know anecdotally we've worked on a whole number of them, got them through comments. There's no market for them here. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about your transaction, why it was successful, why Norway, um, and tell us about that.
6: Yeah, I mean, I would say from the get-go it was definitely more of a structure suitable for Norway. Um, you know, it, the approach of it, it was, one, it was smaller size. Um, two, it was meant to be more of a yield-go. Co- uh, and more of a finite vehicle. We're not trying to create the next load field or something. Um, and you know, the, the investor appetite in Norway was definitely uh, a lot more in the path of what we were trying to do. And um, we saw that with the investors that came in. As sort of Christopher hinted, it, it was definitely more of that European approach. Uh, we didn't have you know, much of the American uh, engagement on that.
2: Go ahead, Chris.
4: yeah and and to add to that, I think also an important part for that placement was that it was offering something different uh, that was not already available in the market space so so okay you had you had some very strong uh, chemical uh, exposure that we could get in sort of old fill installed, but it was a different different way right they're bigger, larger animals uh, so stainless was able to offer something to investors that was not already there uh, and I think that was one of the reasons why uh, transaction was successful and able to be placed as well.
3: I think that's probably, you know, to the point of why haven't we seen more IPOs. I think that's a great point. You know, what investors do want to see is differentiation in any new IPO that's going to come to the market, any market, whether it's Oslo, New York, Singapore, et cetera. Investors will look at that company, understand the current capital structure, financial profile, power to generate earnings, and benchmark it against already listed alternatives. Um, so it's not helpful when you have a sector that might be you know, a commo- in the commo- one of the commodity sectors trading below NAV, you have a new company that wants to come to that space, that can be very difficult. But if you have a company that is building something truly unique, whether it's operating platform, whether it's asset focus, whether it's technology, um, there was a, a panel earlier about um, earlier stage technology companies. Now those companies aren't ready for the IPO markets today. But when you start to think about, you know, where we could be a decade from now, it's really the differentiation of a company's story that will help uh, provide the backdrop for an IPO, not just kind of the sector dynamics. Thank you for
2: that. You know, I want to shift gears here a little bit. You know, the other half of the panel is consolidation and, and M&A transactions. Um, you know, obviously in the news we've been seeing some pretty high profile uh, transactions, ones that, that were just announced. Uh, you know, what, what's driving this? What, what has changed in the, in the environment? You know, i feel like you know we're, we're receiving more inbounds we're working on more m&a frankly we're working on more m&a transactions than we are straight capital markets transactions right now you know maybe you could talk a little bit about what's happening in the market what's driving this and, and will it continue and maybe we could uh you know krista if you want to start out
3: it's an interesting it's, it's interesting to pose the question as what has changed um we believe that these trends for consolidation have been here for a long time. We all know in shipping it can take longer in terms of some of the personalities involved. So I think what has changed some of it is the passage of time in certain situations. Um, what has also changed is um, just you know the, the valuations that we have seen in the public markets. Um, You know, there's been some recent news lately in tankers. There's also been a lot of transactions of companies going private in the last two years in the contracted shipping spaces, whether it's some of the LNG companies, whether it's um, the privatization of the largest container ship less ore, which we advised on and closed earlier this year, whether it's some of the container leasing companies, um, the largest of which is now private. Um, So what has changed there is there has been, a huge amount of capital in the private markets with infrastructure funds who have looked at some of these sectors um, that do have an underpinning of contracted long-term cash flows, and they've seen an opportunity um, and have willing, been willing to value those businesses better uh, than they've seen in, in the public markets.
2: Mike, what are your thoughts on, on the recent wave of consolidation? Are we, you know, are we going to see more fleet acquisitions? Or are we going to see more? Vessel acquisitions, how are folks approaching this?
1: Yeah, I think with MA, you really have to have both sides. You have to have a, a willing buyer and a, and a willing seller. And so I think some of the sort of you know, situations we've seen where one side doesn't want to sell, you'll see things like poison pills, you'll see delays and, and disputes. Um, the M&A that's happened in the public markets has, has historically been because there's been a lot of yeah, PE owners that have decided they want to get out, and so, that, and so you see that. Otherwise, you know, without that, it's, to my mind, it's much easier to do a fleet sale. You know, I think what we saw with Frontline front and Euronav, you know, just made, made sense. It's a much easier transaction this way um, with the assets being sold. Uh, so I think we'll see that. I think, you know, you're seeing it in spaces like offshore where you have kind of a lot of unnatural owners. You know, whether those are distressed owners that got in a few years ago, some banks that own assets, you're seeing a lot more in that area um, because you have people that want to sell.
2: Now we're also seeing a lot of shareholder activism we've seen companies buy into other other companies you know we, is this going to lead to more consolidation? do you think these guys are going to be <laughs> successful or uh, or is this really just a trade that's being put on Christopher any any thoughts
4: yeah I mean I think uh, a lot of times it makes sense for public companies to to join teams and sort of make one larger company which is even more investable and, and liquid for, for the investors coming in. You're sort of increasing your exposure without ordering new vessels or without uh, sort of making large acquisitions. You're merging together with, with already existing companies. And it's some sometimes a benefit and sometimes a disadvantage that you have two trading stock prices as well because uh, you need to match up to make sure that both of them feel half miserable. If, if one feels like it's winning then, then you're never going to get the transaction through. Uh, but I think Yes, there is room for for listed companies to, to merge with listed companies. Uh, and there's also uh, potential for, for companies that potentially want to do an IPO uh, if they are private investors that have a fleet of 10 to 20 vessels, but they're unable to do it because they're they're similar to what's already there, as we touched upon earlier. If you don't have anything new or, or special that you can add to sort of the, the profile of the capital markets, then this may be difficult to raise equity for, that. for those companies. Uh, then they can do ship-for-share transactions into existing players as we saw when when Trafigura made a ship or share transaction into Scorpio a couple of years back uh, and we're also working on several of those uh, sort of typically transactions where we saw uh, people getting exposure and maybe they're not ready to they still believe in the, the market that they're going into and by doing a ship or share transaction or merger into a larger company it's easier also to be flexible and exit when, when you want to as well without having your name fully exposed uh, on it so I think yeah there's definitely room for, for more m a and shipping in general
2: so so there's more room for for m a Nicos from from your perspective uh, you know from an investor perspective, how do you view consolidation is it is it a good thing is it a bad thing do you not care
6: I think in shipping it, I'm sort of indifferent to, to some of it um, I think when it comes to the traditional you know bulkers tankers. I don't see consolidation as, as a viable way forward. I think you know once you have a decent mass of ships, anything beyond that doesn't really add any value. So I, w- I would agree with what Mike was saying. I think you know in, in some markets, let's say that are a bit more operational, whether it's chemical tankers, containers, um, I think their consolidation can help because you're actually growing your invest- your, your sort of customer base, you, uh, growing your fleet. Um, I think their consolidation can help, but you know, in in I think, let's say, what happened with EuroNav. I, I, I think what happened now versus what was initially anticipated with the, with the M&A into front line. I think is definitely a better way forward. Um, you know, an and catalyst. I think that makes sense because it's it's a market where again consolidation gets you more power compared to your sort of counterparties. Um So, you know, and, and looking at it on a private side as well, you look at the traditional private equities and their M&A approach. It's you know to build and add on. I don't see that happening with a traditional sort of shipping industry side of things. Jay, I'll
2: give you the last word on uh, on M and A. What what are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I, I would I would say um, so. Our, our folks actually in Norway advise Frontline on the a transaction, so we've been aware of that for quite a while now. But it's I to say that conditions are definitely ripe for. M&A from the perspective that there is actually a fair bit of financing available, particularly for the larger names. And so, you know, the Catler and Eddie deal is a good example as well. I think there is there is ample capital, particularly bank capital, I would say, for really the top-tier names, and it is quite readily available to support large transactions. And so I, I'd say, if you were asking earlier what are the conditions that's changed, I would say that's something that we have definitely seen certainly over the last three to six months um, that has changed. I think there is more willingness again, not every name, but really top tier names to really um, step forward and 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 provide the capital necessary to make some of these larger transactions work um, and then I think you need the right conditions in terms of willing buyer willing seller, as you know um, as Christopher mentioned I think it's if you don't have that it it's just always much more challenging it's not impossible, but it's just certainly much more challenging and you know we we see the transaction, for example, in the OSV space when Tidewater bought the, the uh, PSVs, 37 PSVs from Solstad. That was a great transaction where you had a willing buyer, willing seller, and so you could go ahead and finance that trade. And, and every, you know, each side was satisfied with the outcome. So I think that's those are kind of the conditions you need. But I, I certainly expect more consolidation, you know, certainly in the coming months. Thank you.
2: Energy transition has been a real big focus. You guys touched upon it earlier in the panel. Um, you know how is you know energy transition in the shipping space sort of impacting capital raising? You know, I guess I want to give 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 all of you a chance to answer this. Um, you know, sort of, you know, what investable opportunities are there as we go through this energy transition process? You know, Krista, maybe you want to. Start
3: out. Sure, um, it, it's a broad topic. It, it certainly is a topic that has shaped the debt markets in a definable way. Um, whether that's through the bank markets with Poseidon principles, whether that's through the bond markets, which I talked about earlier in terms of companies that are putting in place green bond frameworks. And then um, you know, leveraging that as they market capital. Um, to really a, a deeper investor base, you know, there's certainly um, when you talk about raising capital associated with energy transition, you know, there's an increasing concern about greenwashing and so forth. Um, but I do think that you know, as investors have gotten more sophisticated, um, you know, they'll take a look at the whole company, they'll take a look at the whole company's approach. All investors um, will have different ways of of measuring and monitoring, but you know one thing that's very clear in this industry is you know energy transition is important it has to happen nobody knows the fuel of the future so you know their companies are doing different things and i think there is capital there to invest it um also when there is an economic principle behind it as well but it's shaping you know it's shaping capital it's also shaping m a discussions as you think about you know whether it's traditional companies that have traditional fleets and, you know, where will this business be in 10 to 15 years? Do you have scrubbers or not? Um, Or what kinds of investment decisions may I be making today opportunistically that, you know, I don't know exactly how they're going to pan out, but, you know, am I allocating a small piece of, you know, my investment budget for some experiments, if you will?
4: Yeah, no, no, I definitely agree, and I think sort of the the important factor is yes, the, the companies are, are focusing a lot on the ESG, but I think the important part is that there needs to be need to return cash to shareholders. Uh, I think that's sort of one of the main themes, as Krista as mentioned as well. I think that's at least what we've seen sort of when you raised uh, equity for, for Claveness uh, earlier in the year uh, for green initiatives. I mean, it, it's important that there is a payback on it, right? So that people do it, uh, but they do it also for a reason that they can get a return on it. And the same we see for, for Himalaya as well, uh, with their listing and dual listing here in the U.S. I mean, it's it's a great company focusing on, on but they have the LNG propulsion. Um, so there are uh, very the greenest ships out there, uh, but they also have an economic factor to it. So I think there's definitely capital available as long as, as there is a feasible um, economical reason for it as well. Uh, investors are not there just to to sort of for capital on, on any, any, uh, any green uh, decision, if, if there isn't anything in it for them as well.
2: Jay, how, is, uh, how are the capital markets helping companies uh, meet their sustainability goals?
5: Um, you know, it varies by company. There are companies who absolutely are taking advantage of this through sustainability-linked bonds, green bonds. That is, um, That has actually been a, uh, I would say, uh, quite prevalent particularly over the last twelve months, um, you know I think for us at least my view as I think about energy transition it's it's a very uncertain situation, and this type of uncertainty actually has benefited shipping. there will be a solution um, that will that will be agreed to, but i don't see that solution coming to bear at least anytime soon, and so I think that has actually been a real benefit to shipping in terms of the you know, just certainly if you think about an order book as an example, right, you don't see the large order books outside of certain sectors right now because you're not quite sure what that energy transition fuel is going to look like. Um, And I'd say the other thing we're seeing are companies trying to figure out if they can get into certain adjacencies, you know, carbon capture, carbon carriers, things like that, trying to see whether that could be an economic um, adjacency for them. But again, the economics have to make sense. And I think that's the one thing that I would say the last few months people are, are noticeably challenging to make sure that before they invest in something, it's got to make sense. Um, there was a lot of um, excitement to try to do something, but now I think reality set in and they need to make sure that it can actually be justified.
2: Mike, as new technology comes out, assets get revalued, You know what impact is that happening having on consolidation in the, in the capital markets?
1: Well, I'll kind of answer it a different way, mostly, because I don't know much about the new technologies. Uh, I think what this is doing is the, the real impact this is having is it's making older assets a lot more cash flow generative. So 10, 15-year-old assets are going to make a bunch of money over the next 5, 10 years. Um, and so I don't know if that's you know, by design or accident, but it's going to make those older assets, uh, from a cash flow IRR perspective, a lot more interesting.
2: Nico, what's your perspective?
6: Um, I would say there's several perspectives to it. Um, on the one hand, what Mike just said, I mean, we have a large fleet of secondhand vessels. We are of the opinion that, you know, the market is going to strengthen there because of what's going on with lack of orders and this uh, uncertainty of where, where the technologies are going. Uh, but at the same time, we're part of the U.N. Uh, uh, principles of responsible investing. Uh, That's coming from our investors and LPs. And frankly, any you know new fund or new vehicle we would put together, unless it has a specific focus on incrementization, you know, it would be hard to to really push that through. And you know, that's my main focus. Um, I think on the other hand, also sort of more broadly about uh, you know ship owners, I think it's it's changing the dynamic there as well. With early stage technology, you're seeing ship owners instead of waiting to be a, a user at some point they're coming in and actually investing in early stage technologies helping them grow get to the commercialization stage and you know i think that will help with bolstering you know the nav discounts and sort of just adding value to the platform uh, for the traditional shipping companies and um helps diversify them even as a family side of things uh beyond that I think it's attracting new investors, sort of how I hinted at earlier, is bringing infrastructure and PE back into the space. So um, I think both the uncertainty and the opportunities of that that energy transition is creating, I think, are beneficial for pretty much every spectrum of shipping. So,
2: Alec, I'm going to stay with you. Do you think companies are doing a good job deploying their capital? You know, companies have strong balance sheets. People are choosing between returning capital Investing in new technologies, consolidating, you know, we have higher interest rates, a low order book, you know. Talk a little bit about, you know, our company's doing the right thing. Clearly, there'll be some winners and losers here as we look back over time. You know, who's who are going to be the winners?
6: Um, I think the winners are the ones that are looking looking ahead and not afraid of what could potentially happen with the technology. Um, you know, there, there's this fear of, oh, if I invest in methanol, if I invest in, uh, in ammonia, maybe it's too early. Well, th- there's a way to hedge through, through that. I think technology is going to mature. Um, we have to look at it as a risk and opportunity. And it, it, I think the, the losers are going to be the ones that are outright ignoring this, both from an opportunity and from a risk perspective. I don't think there's too many ship owners that are in that space, I think, at least on the public side, any ship owner that um, at least I'm aware of, are taking this seriously, um, are understanding the risks and starting to prepare what happens next. So um, I think it's going to hurt the smaller private owners uh, who maybe don't have the capacity to follow or, or are just not paying attention. Um, so that could lead to sort of a de facto consolidation in the industry to some extent, I guess.
2: Mike, what are, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think, right, that's probably the hardest thing right now in the, the for the public companies anyways, is, is capital allocation. I mean, they, first of all, they have a lot of capital, so there's decisions to make. I think you can pay down too much debt. I think shipping's a hard asset business that probably some debt makes sense. So, you know, I think that's a, how, how much is too much to pay down? Um, you know, people have paid back dividends to, to sort of varying degrees of reward in their, in their share prices, so I think there's some questions there. Um, you know hard to argue against buybacks when your shares trade at a pretty significant discount, um, but people are then worried about liquidity um, and then you know ships are relatively expensive. I would argue they're less expensive than they appear um, if you just look at the numbers because if you look at new build costs but if you just look at what's happened with inflation and you kind of backdate and inflation adjust values actually assets aren't that expensive now, but I think that's the concern people have. Um, and then there's investing in new sectors, you know, which is, uh, uh, you know, an- another, another path. I think it's, it's tough, though, if your share's traded at a big discount and you decide to, instead of buying your shares, to invest in a new sector that you don't have much of. If I'm an investor, aren't I just going to say, okay, well, you're smart, I agree with your strategy, but I'll just go buy a company that has only that asset. So it's tough. I, I think it's, I don't necessarily envy the, uh, the decision that some of the public shipping companies have, but, capital allocation is going to be the, the key focus I think for most of these guys um, you know, at least for the next 12 months
5: Jay what's the right balance what?
1: <laughs>
5: uh, I think the right balance is making sure your shareholders are happy um, and we've seen a mix of dividends share buybacks special dividends um, but we can't ignore as you said what's happening with uh, on the energy transition front I think the one question that always comes up is whether, is there any real first mover advantage by doing this? And I think that's a question that I think many companies and boards are trying to think about, whether it makes sense to be at the forefront or whether it makes more sense to be the second or third guy in line to see how things shake out. So I, I would say that's probably a discussion we've heard more often than not. Christopher, anything to add?
4: Yeah, no, I agree. I think. Uh I think the companies are, are in general doing a good job. I mean, they're in, in a good position where they're actually making cash flows. Uh, so I think as long as they're positioned and then we know that when, when sort of the markets really turn, they turn quickly. So I think it's important for, for investors as well to, to sort of dip their toes early and not, not wait for too long because then, then sort of the train is going to leave the station. Um, yeah, so I think uh, all in all, it's, it's a good place to be.
2: Chris, any final thoughts on this topic?
3: I think it's been well said. I I liked where Nico started, which is uh, thinking about, you know, where your company is going ten years out is important. I think balance sheet flexibility is key. Uh, We've seen that happen this weekend. Things can change very quickly in the world. And so uh, many companies are doing those things today.
2: So we have a a few final minutes here. You know, I guess what's of interest to, I guess, a lot of people in the room is, is now a good time to invest in shipping. You know, as I look at my personal account, you know, it's it, it shipping somewhere. I, I want to invest. Um, you know, Krista, maybe you could say what, whether it is or, or not and why?
3: I do believe it's, it's, a, it's a great place to invest. I believe that there is significant differentiation of companies and strategies out there. Uh, so you have to be careful uh, when, you, when you think about that. but um, absolutely there's some great dynamics in terms of what's happening in, in many companies out there. It depends by sector, of course.
4: Christopher? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think it's been uh, it's been a good place for investors to get returns as well over the last couple of years. And uh, Clarkson, sort of, our view is, is particularly really fond of, of tankers and bulkers. Uh, tankers, we've already seen that they've performed quite well so far this year, uh, which, which stocks uh, earning sort of 40, 50%. Uh, it's been a great place to be in LPG, over 70% so far this year for the peer group. So I think if uh, for investors to, to get sort of significant returns, in, in something which is very relevant today, being energy security, which we touched upon. So I think it's it's a good place to get, get returns. Uh, so I definitely think it's a good place to start investing and, and, and yeah, invest as early as possible.
5: Jay? Uh, absolutely. I think there's certain segments that are probably more attractive than others, but also keep in mind you can invest across the capital structure as well. So whether it's on the equity preferred or bond side, I think there are many ways that investors are definitely playing the cycle right now. But given the importance of global transportation and shipping, shipping is going to be a more important part of the overall decarbonization story. So this is absolutely a sector people need to be invested in.
2: Mike, are you an investor? If I'm, so I'm, what, I'm, what sector and, yeah. uh, and how would you do it?
1: Well, I'm, I'm an investor right now. I think the, the inflation story I think is a huge factor here. Um, you can't replace these ships. Uh, at levels that look anything like you could replace them, you know, even a few years ago, and so you know, hard assets tend to do well in an inflationary environment, um, especially if they're employed. So maybe not commercial real estate, but uh, but certainly shipping, I think, is a is a good place to be.
6: Nico, um, I would echo what everyone else has said. Certainly, it's a good time to invest, and it's a good time to invest in many different strategies. You know, we're investing both in secondhand ships. Like I said, it's I think it's a good time for it, but also in the the new bills with what Mike said, you know, with a bit more of that uh, industrial approach with the long-term charters.
2: I want to thank all my panelists today. It has been a terrific and uh, insightful panel. Thank you for being here. Nicholas, thank you for putting on a wonderful event every year. You always draw a great crowd. Thank you for having us.